Uh, at this church, we're going through the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians. And if you missed the earlier part of the series, because uh, you're new here, don't worry. God's got something to say from every part of the scripture, and he's got something to say to us from uh, this part of chapter 2 today. But you can also go to our website and listen to Sam and Beth and others preaching from previous weeks. A phrase that uh, stuck in my mind related to a word a lady called Pat gave last week. And she didn't use the word last week, but if you put the slide up, Chris, uh, the phrase that came to me is carpe diem. Now, it became a kind of trendy phrase about 10 years ago, didn't it? It's Latin for seize the day. There we go. And this lady, Pat, came up and gave a word. I just wanted to reinforce it today. Uh, She said things like this. I believe the Lord wants us to move on as a church and as individuals in maturity in growth and in going forwards. He wants us to take opportunities now as they present. And sometimes, if you're like me, you don't recognize the opportunity until after it's gone. But God wants us to seize the day. And if we feel an opportunity to care for someone, if we feel the opportunity to say something, if we feel the opportunity to do something, then take it. If we feel the opportunity to pray for someone to be healed... Let's be in a place where we take the opportunities before it's too late. She said, what issues have you put on the back burner? Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's getting reconciled with that person. It's not easy to do, and you put it on the back burner. Seize the day. Take the opportunity now. What gifts and callings are on your life? We're all called by God to come to faith, to know him, and he gives gifts to all his children. Every one of us has gifts from God to share with others. What's your calling? What are your gifts? And what are you doing about it? Seize the day. Do something about it. And what was the last thing God laid on your heart? Has he prompted you to do anything? Have you done it yet? So carpe diem. Let's seize the day. And sometimes situations may be really hard. But uh, another little phrase that's in my mind is push. Uh, People talk about a prayer push. And uh, it's a bit corny. Some of these Christian things are a bit corny, aren't they? And push stands for pray until something happens. Uh, Now, there are other ways of, of praying and interceding that we can learn about. But there's something about a push in prayer. So it may not be something you can just sort in an instant. But it's something you can start to really pray about. And pray until something happens. Push and shift things. And if you don't see the big issue, because it's a difficult issue, maybe it involves other people and uh, you can't uh, get them to change their behavior. But if you pray and pray and start the push, I believe you may not see the answer this week or next week. But if you start that process, then we can see a real breakthrough. So do be encouraged. And uh, next, seed, next uh, slide, scattering seeds, Bev talked about yesterday, but it was uh, fantastic on the high street. And it's just to be encouraged to, the seed is the word of God, the seed is good things that show people about Jesus, things that you can say, things that you can do. Be encouraged wherever you are, at work, with your neighbors, down your streets, just to do things that make Jesus known. And yesterday was fantastic, and uh, I don't know if you're like me, I'm 
you don't really want to go on the high street and collar people about Jesus. How many of you love doing that? I wasn't fit. Bev actually is great, but I, I wasn't feeling that way. And I'm walking up Silverdale towards the high street, and it's starting to rain. I thought, great, you know, I'm doing this, don't really want to do this, and it's going to rain. It's miserable. But from literally one minute in, people are asking for prayer, people are stopping in the street, and it's, it's fabulous, as Bev said. And this guy's walking along, and she said, can I pray for you? He stands there and she starts prophesying into his life, saying, are you at a crossroads? Yes, I am, he says. Can I pray for you? And uh, then giving him the opportunity to give his life to Jesus. So I'm reluctant. I find it easy to hide away and not do anything, not say anything. But God is moving. And if you can scatter a seed somewhere, then God's going to water it. And the seed that's planted is going to grow. And we got lots of encouragement. There's a woman who had come along. We met on the high street a few years ago, three, four years ago, whatever. She remembered the, the white guy with the afro and the glasses. I presume he's Peter Lexin. And uh, she came to a few sessions of Alpha, and, uh, but then dropped out. But we found out that a few years later, she's come and joined a church through her son. They've both become Christians, and she was baptized a couple of months ago. And we saw her. Yep, it's great. We saw her for a few weeks, four years ago, and that was it. But now she's right there with God, and it was lovely. She was walking along the street, and we bumped into her. So seize the day, scatter some Holy Spirit seeds, and seize the day in your life. Be reconciled to someone, do the thing God's prompting you to do, get baptized, give your life to Jesus, whatever it is. Seize the day. Let's read through today's passage together, and then I want to look at two aspects of it, and then we'll finish in good time to celebrate Diego and share fellowship together over cake and coffee. Let's read, let's read together. Do you think we can manage this? Together. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together, with its joints and ligaments, 
and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ and he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Wonderful. There's a lot in there and uh, we haven't got time to go into detail into all of that. But when I was thinking about the passage, I saw this kind of sign pointing in two directions. And it was about which way are you going in life? And a fundamental choice is, am I going to do my own thing? Or do I want to follow Jesus and go God's way? And that's a choice for every man and woman and child. Am I going to do my own thing or am I going to go God's way? Now, it's not wrong, I think, when you're, particularly when you're young and starting out, I want to make the most of my life, I want to get somewhere. But that can turn into a bit of an ego trip, can't it? And I think when you get older, it gets kind of sadder when you, you just want to, you know, make yourself big and go on a fantastic ego trip. And I, I'm really sad that the most, you know what the most popular song at funerals is to be played? Yeah, it's I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. It's the most popular song to be played at funerals in this country these days. I don't want to do it <laughs> my way. Uh, in my weakness and in my selfishness, I do in my heart want to do it God's way and go God's way. So I would say it's not about looking after number one. I hope we're on the side of uh, the choice there in the signpost and say, well, actually, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to go God's way. I do want to get somewhere spiritual in my life and not just go the way of this world. And it was very interesting uh, meeting this man, Courtney, yesterday, who both said, you're at Crossroads, and he said yes. And then we gave him the opportunity to give his life to Jesus, and he went away, said he'd come back, and he hasn't yet. But that's the crossroads we're at. Are you going to go God's way or are you going your own way? And it's a really fundamental choice. And it can seem a bit of a crazy thing to go God's way. But actually, uh, and this actually it really struck me yesterday. If you put the next slide up, Chris. This is something Jesus said. And I was trying to think, which gospel's it in? And I found it five times in similar form. So I thought, wow, if it, there's just a, a biography of Jesus' life. And the four Gospels aren't that long, but this one phrase in slightly different forms is five times in the Gospels. And the first one there in Matthew, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And people say, you're foolish to, to go God's way. You're foolish to, to give up all the fantastic things in the world. It's much better to be selfish and look after number one, trample on other people, doesn't matter if you tread on a few people's heads when you're climbing the ladder. You're daft if you don't do that. But Jesus says the reverse is true. If you're trying to make it yourself, if you're trying to find your own life, if you're trying to big yourself up, it'll evaporate. You maybe get somewhere for a while, you get your 15 minutes of fame, and then you'll be falling down the ladder again. But if you give your life away because you love Jesus and you really find life. So it might seem a bit mad, 
And you might know loads of people saying, following God is rubbish. But actually the truth is that you'll find life if you follow Jesus. And a missionary, a guy who was a martyr in South America, he lost his life following Jesus. He said this, actually he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So you want to keep your life. You want to make your life as good as you possibly can. But you can't keep your life. One day we're going to die. If you give your life away and you give your heart to Jesus and you have eternal life as a gift for him, you can never lose that. It's yours forever. So it's not foolish, even though in the world it looks foolish. And I made the decision when I was 14. I never went to church. My parents weren't Christians, but I just thought one night, there must be more to life than you live, you die, end of. There must be more than that. So I just said in my head, God, I give my life to you, come into my life. When I was 14, everything began to change from that point. I was really glad that I chose God's way and not just my own way. So do you want to follow God? Do you want to go the way of Jesus? But I think there's a bit of a fear, isn't there? You may think, I want to follow God, but I don't want to be a religious nutter. You can think of people that you think are Christians. and think, oh, they're nuts. They're so embarrassing. Uh, I remember a school assembly. Uh, I'd just become a Christian, and I was really glad hardly anyone knew that. And I was just sitting in the back. But a friend of mine had been a Christian for many years, and he was one of the leaders of the Christian Union. And so he had to get on the stage with the president of the Christian Union to promote Christianity to the school. I was really glad I was sitting at the back. And this cringy president of the Christian Union was saying all these platitudes about Christianity. And then he thought to illustrate the joy of being Christian, he would play the Morecambe and Wise song, Give Me Sunshine. He thought somehow that communicated the gospel message. And I could see my friend standing on stage in front of all his mates in the school with Bring Me Sunshine playing over with this cringeworthy Christian president next to him was standing there dying a hundred deaths. So you don't want to be a religious nutter. I can understand that. But the good news is you don't have to be. It's about a real relationship with a living God. You don't have to be a religious nutter. In fact, it's the worst thing you can possibly do. So that's cool. That's really good. And the two ways, once we've um, thought about two ways, are we going to follow God or are we going to go our own way? The next kind of decision within starting out on that pathway of following God, am I going to go the way of religion, religious observance, or am I going to be in a relationship with God and know him as my real father in heaven and know his love for me? Is it going to be a real relationship? And in this chapter, it talks about the difference. And it talks a number of things about religion, particularly the Jewish religion. And then it talks about how actually the reality is in Jesus. And I'm going to finish off by looking at a few things it says about religion and then a few things it says about Jesus. And religion without reality, the first point, Chris, you click on it. There's an initiation ceremony. And when God chose Abraham and the Jewish people and he chose them to be his witnesses on the earth, he wanted them to be distinct from other people. 
And what they had as part of that was a physical sign they were different. And so the men had circumcision, and it was the initiation into the faith, and it showed that they were different. Uh, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your youth leader. But that was that was initi- initiation ceremony. And Paul saying, you don't need to bother with that anymore. Whew, sigh of relief, breathed by half of us. The second thing, religious festivals. It talks in, the, if you read the chapter yourself, it talks about following the new moon or the holy days or the Sabbath festivals. And during the year, the Jews uh, celebrated a number of feasts and festivals. And there was no work on those days. Trumpets would be blown. They'd either be feasting or fasting, and there'd be lots of religious instruction. And they really believed each month was significant, so they'd be watching out for the new moon. And they'd send messengers on the hills, and they'd keep an eye out. So when they thought the new moon was about to come out, then they'd throw a special festival. And that's good. It's good to set aside time for God. It's good to think about God. It's good to know that God's a creator of our world. But if it's just following those kind of rules and going to those festivals for the sake of it out of tradition and there's no reality in it, then it's not really the substance. It's not really knowing God. And then a bit later in the chapter, Paul talks about super spiritual people. And uh, it says, he says that some people recommend worshipping angels, uh, which is forbidden in the Bible. And they claim they have all these amazing visions that tell them to worship angels. And uh, they say you must be harsh on your body. You must fast a lot and beat yourself up. There was that, there's been that kind of religious stream, not only in Judaism, but throughout history. Asceticism. Beat yourself up to be spiritual. If you put the next slide up, Chris. I looked at a few examples of that, and uh, one in Hinduism. uh, And some of the aesthetics in Hinduism are called the sadhus. And they're known sometimes for extreme forms of self-denial. These include extreme acts of devotion to a deity or a principle, such as vowing never to use one leg or the other. So I'm going to be an extreme religious person, I'm going to be into self-denial. I will never use my left leg. They make life quite inconvenient. But out of religious discipline, they would never use their left leg for years. People, religious people are weird, aren't they, sometimes? Uh, or a pledge and a vow to hold an arm in the air for a period of months or years. It's actually within uh, Hindu asceticism to hold, hold your arm. I'm going to hold my arm like this for the next three and a half years. I'm glad we got rid of all this stuff, aren't you? And within the Christian tradition, there was a guy, and there's kind of a possible picture of him there. That's Simon the Stylite. Something to do with style. Uh, He's just called Simon the Stylite or Stylites. He was born about 390 AD. And uh, if you click the next couple down to number three, Chris. And he entered a monastery when he was 15, but he was so austere. The other monks said, you're too full on for us. You know, you're just too extreme in your self-denial. You actually, you need to leave the community. After he did that, he shut himself in a hut for a year and a half uh, and didn't go out. Um, but the word kind of got around. A lot of the pilgrims came to see him, and they bothered him. So he didn't get the peace he wanted in his hut. 
And so for the next 37 years, he lived on top of a variety of pillars. And the first one, I think, was nine foot tall, and he ended up on one that was 50 foot tall. And he climbed up, and he, he lived in a meter square on top of a pillar. And he did that for 37 years. Simon Stylites. And uh, occasionally people would kind of put a rope up and take some food up to him. And uh, if you wanted a word from God, from this man of God, you'd put a ladder up, climb up and have a chat with him. He might pray for you. And sometimes he stood there in a kind of position of the cross on top of his pillar. So there are some interesting people out there. And the good news in Colossians 2 is that that kind of austerity, asceticism, religious nutter weirdness, claiming you've had visions of angels and you should worship angels, forget it. That's religious regulation. It's not the reality of knowing God. And finally, we read the last part of the chapter. There's rules about you can't eat this, you can't eat that, don't handle, don't touch. Uh, Some people say you can't eat certain foods, you can't eat meat, you can't drink wine, you can't touch that object or associate it with that person because they'll make you unholy if you touch them. And again, Paul says, forget it, rubbish. The initiation ceremony, the religious festivals for the sake of it, super spiritual uh, ascetic types and religious regulations, they won't bring you into the reality of knowing God, so forget it. They won't even make you more spiritual just because you beat yourself up in that kind of way. Actually, there's a clue in the Old Testament that that wasn't the way. So way before Jesus came in Isaiah chapter 1, he's prophesying. He's got this word from God. You read it in Isaiah 1 from verse 13. He's speaking as God is speaking and said, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They're a burden to me. I can't stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. And God wanted justice, not religious, pious behavior. And then he said, come now, let's reason together. Though your sins are shouting out like scarlet red, I will make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And it's all about Jesus. It's not about following religious rules and regulations. The answer's found in Jesus. The religious rules and customs are only shadows of reality. Christ himself is that reality. If you put the next slide up, please, Chris. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete when you are in union with Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You don't need to add anything on. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. You have forgiveness with Jesus. Choose his way. Follow him. There's no other way. There's nothing you can add 
to bring you to salvation. And maybe it's a, a carpe diem, seize the day. If you've never actually done that in your heart, and in your mind, you've never spoken it out in prayer, then you don't need to leave the room this morning without doing that. We'd be very happy to encourage you and pray for you. And things change in the way of Jesus. You only need Jesus. Instead of circumcision, we have baptism. And we're hoping to have some baptisms in July here. And in baptism, we identify with Jesus. We say our old lives that were distant from God and full of sin are dead and buried under the water of baptism. And then we come out out of the water and we're risen to new life together with Jesus. So our initiation ceremony is baptism and it identifies with Jesus, dying to your old life and rising again to your new life. It's fantastic. He's forgiven all our sins, Chris. And there's a few uh, places uh, in, in here in Colossians. And it talks about there's a, a bond of debt against us. Or it talks about there's like a law against us. Or it talks like you could say an arrest warrant against you. Verse 14, he forgave all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations and charges against us. Now what exactly is that written code? People have thought of it in slightly different ways. It could be a bit like a, a debtor's bond. So you want to buy a flat, but you're in debt, and there's a bond that proves that you're in debt. There's no way you're going to get a mortgage because this is against you. It's a roadblock. You're never going to get a flat because you are a debtor. Or it could be a bit like uh, a document of God's law. And uh, has anyone not broken God's law in their lives? Have you not lied? Have you not thought badly about people? Have you not disrespected God? If you have, you've broken the law. And it says you're excluded. There's a roadblock in the way. Or it could be a bit like an arrest warrant. You're guilty. You should be in prison. So these things are against us, our sins or our debts, and they're a roadblock. They stop us coming to know God. But the good news is you don't need religious observance to get them out of the way. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations, the charges against us. He took it away and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. Jesus has done it all for us. I haven't got a record of my sins here, but I did actually find a record of Sam Corrie's sins. So I brought it here and managed to find the record of Sam's sins. And uh, this is a short extract. Uh, Melissa's got the other um, 90%. Uh, we've all sinned, haven't we? How many of you only sin once a day? How many of you? No one. So you're, you're more than that. If it was only once a day, that's 365 a year. If you live to 80, how many is that? That's like 100,000 in your lifetime if you only sin once a day. There is a record of our sins. We need forgiveness. But the good news is, and this is, I'm really taking a risk now. I'm trusting Pete Alexin with a hammer and some nails. And it says he's taken, that might be the best one to go for, that, that's, he's taken the record of our sins 
and he's got rid of it by nailing it to the cross. Now, if you miss my fingers, please, Pete, do you think you could nail this to the cross? Fantastic. Round of applause for Pete. But he's taken the record of our wrongs. And it's no longer a roadblock to us because Jesus took it on board on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And in doing that, he's destroyed it. And he's ripped up all our sins and got rid of it because Jesus died for us on the cross. We're free and forgiven. That's a wonderful truth. And we need to tell other people about it. We're guilty. Everyone acknowledges their guilt. But Jesus died for us. One of the ways of understanding is work on the cross. As he's the substitute. We deserve the penalty. We had sinned. We had done wrong. Jesus said, I'll take the punishment for you. And in doing that, I will free you and release you and freely forgive you. It's great news. People need to hear that, and we need to celebrate that. And it also talks another picture about him disarming the principalities and powers on the cross. How many of you believe there are spiritual forces of evil in the world? Think that? I think there are. It doesn't really make sense without that. And so life isn't a level playing field. There are things against you. It's not going to be plain and easy sailing. But on the cross, Jesus, when he was dying, he looked weak. There was immense pressure on him. There was a pressure of all our sins that he took into himself. And I think on top of that, the powers of evil were pressing and crushing him. And he needed to die, to take on board our sins and forgive them. But he needed to go up into heaven and present the blood of his sacrifice at the mercy seat in heaven. And that was pictured by the Jewish priests sacrificing and then taking the blood into the Holy of Holies and putting it on the mercy seat. Jesus needed to do that. And I believe the forces of evil were resting on him and pushing him down and trying to restrain him. And he actually, uh, and if you look at the, the, the Greek language, he strips often away from himself the principalities and powers in disarming them. And I believe breaks through and rises into heaven and gets there and declares that we are forgiven and free and the powers of this world are defeated. He's disarmed the principalities and powers. He's stripped off and away from himself all the enemy rubbish and he's got through into heaven on our behalf to forgive us and free us. And if you look at the, the cross, the, the image, of there's a, a phrase called Christus Victor and that puts the idea of what Jesus on the, did on the cross as something of him battling evil and defeating the devil and winning the victory for us. Christus victory is another way of understanding what Jesus did on the cross. And so evil doesn't ultimately triumph. And before you know Jesus, the Bible talks about us being a slave to sin. It's like we can hardly help doing things that are wrong. But if you know Jesus, it doesn't mean you'll never sin ever again, but it means you're free, you're not a slave to the devil, you've got a choice. And through the Holy Spirit, God can give you the power to choose the right way and do the right thing. And finishing up, 
it talked about uh, those religious super spiritual people were disconnected from the head and so you can imagine that kind of scenario you're disconnected from the head and the body can't function there was a very sad story this week you probably heard it in the press of uh, this guy who fancied himself as a great driver who was uh, road raging another guy and then suddenly overtook them and his car smashed straight into a family car and the two young girls were injured and they're paralyzed and uh, the guy that did it was uh, given four and a half years in prison but these girls are paralyzed and they don't know if they'll ever walk again there's a spiritual paralysis if we're cut off from our head and our head is Jesus I don't want spiritual paralysis for us Knowing Jesus connects you with the head and enables God's wonderful spiritual life to flow through you. Another image is Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. If we're connected in, apart from him, for a, branch, a dead branch on our own, we can do nothing. But when we're grafted into the vine, fruitfulness can come out of our lives. And it's wonderful. And finally, he gives us freedom. You've died with Christ. He set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So it really is good. People are saying you're free if you reject God and do your own thing, and I did it my way. But the Bible said if you follow Jesus and you do it his way, then you're really, really free. If the Son of God sets you free, you're free indeed. And we celebrate not dry and dusty religion, but the freedom of knowing Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you we can celebrate new life with James and Rakia in the birth of Diego. And Lord, we thank you that we don't meet to celebrate dry and dusty religion. Thank you that the weird religious practices or following the rules don't get us into a relationship with you. But I thank you, it's all about you, Jesus. You've done it all on the cross and in your rising again. You've cancelled out our debts. You've forgiven us. You've set us free. You've defeated the power of evil over our lives. And Lord, thank you that we can celebrate that today. Thank you, Jesus.